It's great to see you. Welcome to February 2019. School's back. Businesses are up and running. Uni students are still on holiday. I hope you got to have some kind of break over the last month or so. Uh, I, I did. I was with the family in our usual spot up in Golden Bay. Uh, we would go camping at Pahara Beach. And uh, I say our usual spot. I realized this year that I have spent more than two years of my life in that camping ground, which is pretty amazing. I know I'm ringing really badly. Do I need to move this or are we all right? We're all right? Uh, yeah, more than two years. More, I've spent more time in that camping ground than I have in the house that I've lived in for a year and a half. It's quite weird, really. Um, but that's, that's our place. And I've got to say, this year, uh, it, the weather was pretty amazing. It was perfect, really. Uh, I actually, I love fair weather camping. I love fair weather camping. It's just so simple. It's such a, a simple life. You, you kind of only have three main questions that you've got to answer in a day. Your morning question is, should I read my book in the sun or in the shade? That's kind of the first hurdle you have to get over. And then your afternoon question is, where will we swim today? And then your evening question is, should we eat ice cream before or after dinner? Of course, the kids just say both. So there's no, not even a decision, really. Um, I love it. I, I love fair weather camping. It's just so simple. Um, but of course, foul weather camping is a little bit different. And you get sick of simplicity pretty quick if it's raining for three days. But we didn't have that this year. It was beautiful. But one morning when we were up there, we were eating breakfast outside, you know, as you do when you're camping. And one of our kids asked, what day is it? And that is another thing I love about being on holiday, right? Most of the time you don't, you don't know what time it is. You don't even need to know what day it is most of the time until the camp manager comes and says, why are you still here? <laughs> but anyway, that day we, we happen to know because actually it's, it's Sunday today. And they thought about that for a moment, and they looked at us and said, has church still been happening while we've all been away? (laughs) Now, I I need to explain that a little bit, because not only did Joe and I and the kids go up to Golden Bay on holiday, but actually my parents go up there as well, the founding pastors, and my brothers and their wives and their kids all go up there as well. So between the whole lot of us, actually we've got people who serve on the worship team, the cafe team, the setup team, the AV team, we've got key holders, as if we've got the founding pastors, we've got life kids leaders. You know, there's quite a few different ways that that group of people contributes to church life. So I understood where the question was coming from. Has, has church still been going on while we've all been up here? I thought that was quite funny. But then they had a follow-up question, in all seriousness, just looked at this. Sorry, I can't even do this with a straight face. This is a true story. Will it have been as good? <laughs> well, if I, was, if I was a whole human being, I would have been able to say, of course, darling, it will have been probably more excellent. With it, but I'm not, that, I'm not that strong a human. So. I thought that was funny. Questions. Questions are really important. We all ask them. In fact, questions are one of the defining traits of being human, I think. To, to be human is, is kind of to ask questions. And some questions are smart questions and lead to amazing things. And some questions are, are not so smart and don't really lead anywhere. Some questions have lots of answers. And some questions kind of have no answer at all. Like, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, is the question that people have pondered for a long time. To which I say, clearly, the egg came first because it's a breakfast food. 
That makes sense, eh? Without somebody asking a question, most of history's discoveries and achievements would never have come to pass. Isaac Newton wanted to know why do apples fall straight to the ground? And if he hadn't asked that question, he would never have come up with the law of gravity. The Wright brothers, they wanted to know, well, why do we have to obey the law of gravity? And what could we do so that humans could fly? And so they answered that question by inventing these planes. In 1810, a British merchant named Peter Durand wondered whether there was a more effective way of storing food than in glass jars and glass bottles, especially for long sea voyages where the bottles would fall and break. And he ended up inventing the tin can. Nearly 50 years later, in 1858, an American inventor named Ezra Warner wondered if there was a way of opening tin cans (laughs) and invented the first can opener. Before that, I believe it was just a sledgehammer and a chisel was how they got into their tin cans. Over the centuries, people have wanted to know what it would feel like to stand on top of a mountain, at the bottom of the ocean, or even on the moon, and then they've figured out how to make those things happen. What, who, how, when, and why questions have driven humanity to discover and achieve many things. Questions. And the types of questions we ask change depending on our circumstances. How old we are changes the questions we ask. Our culture and upbringing changes the question we ask. Our place in time and history changes the questions we ask. Different questions have different levels of importance depending on your circumstances. But there are some questions, I think, that are pretty much in common throughout any age, any culture, and any era. Now, this may sound silly, but I think this is probably true. What are we going to eat? It's probably a question that has been asked in one way or another, in every era, and in every culture. Why are we here? Is another question that seems to come up over and over and over again. Does that say Laurel or Yanny? Probably won't last as a question, but it was important for about one day. But life is full of questions. And when we read the gospel and we read the account of Jesus' life on earth, we actually find that the gospels are full of questions too. In fact, Jesus asked hundreds and hundreds of questions. Some of them you will remember and know, they're very famous, and other questions might be a little obscure. Here's, here's just a handful of some of the questions that Jesus asked, and I wonder how many of them you can actually answer today or have an answer for. Why are you anxious about clothes? It's one of the questions that Jesus asked. Which of you who has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? There's another question he asked. I don't know if you have an answer for that today. Here's an interesting one. Do you believe I can do this? That's quite an interesting question for you to think about. How many loaves do you have? Who do you say that I am? That's an interesting one. Oh, I like this one. What do you want me to do for you? Have you answered that one recently? How will you escape being condemned to hell? That's another good one. Why does this generation seek a sign? Well, that's an interesting question for Jesus to be asking 2,000 years ago, isn't it? Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? I don't think we've come up to an answer to that one yet. Where is your faith? I told you before that this one came up over and over again. Jesus asked this, do you have anything to eat? 
So there you go, that's one. That's, that's been around forever. Has no one condemned you? I like this one too. We've already talked about it this morning. Do you realize what I have done for you? That's quite an amazing question. That's just a handful. There's hundreds of them. But there's a question that Jesus asks that we find in John chapter 21 that I I want to talk about today because I was reading it a while ago and it just really struck me. And so we're going to read this passage from John chapter 21, verses 15, 16, and 17. It says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. By the way, you understand Simon, Peter, and Simon, Peter, all the same guy, all right? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you love me? was another question that Jesus asked. Do you love me? Let me explain the context a little bit of this passage. It takes place sometime after Jesus' death and resurrection. And a few of the disciples had gone out on a boat and were fishing, and they were fishing all night, but were not catching anything. And Jesus appears to them on the shore and calls out to them and tells them to cast out their nets on the other side of the boat, which they do, and they catch a huge number of fish, 153 fish caught. And they return to the shore with their catch, And it's after they'd shared breakfast together with Jesus that we find this passage of Scripture. And in these short verses, we find three questions, three replies, and three commands. And the first question that Jesus asks, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, in some ways, this question is a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? The more than these part, we're not quite sure exactly what it is that Jesus is referring to. And scholars and theologians have put forward three possible meanings of that, although there is one that stands above the others. Because as the disciples sat in a group eating breakfast, Jesus could easily have just sort of swept his hand around and indicated the other disciples. And he could have been asking, do you truly love me more than you love these guys? Do you love me more than these guys? But the way the words are phrased, it could equally have meant indicating the disciples, do you truly love me more than these other men do? Do you love me more than these guys love me? That could have been what it meant. But it's also a possibility that Jesus actually was indicating the boats and the fish and the fishing nets, which were, of course, Simon Peter's source of income, his livelihood, his experience. And he could have been asking, do you love me more than these things? your income, your security? Are you truly willing to give these up to follow me? I think there's a fourth reason, a fourth possibility. He could have pointed at the fish and said, do you love me more than the fish love me? Like that's possible meaning, but most scholars don't include that as an option for some reason. But the most likely meaning is the second. 
which is, do you love me? Do you truly love me more than these other men love me? And the reason scholars believe that's the most likely reason is that just a few days before, Simon Peter had boasted that even if all other men were to fall away and abandon Jesus, that he never would. He never would abandon him. That doesn't matter what other people do, I will still be here. Which, of course, Simon Peter failed within about five or six hours uh, when he denied Jesus three times that same day. So it seems like Jesus is asking him, are you willing to make that comparison again? Do you, do you truly love me more than these others do? That was the first question. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The first answer. And interestingly, Simon Peter ignores the comparison. I think he's learned his lesson. It's just, yes, you know that I love you. It's not, yes, I do love you more than these guys do, or yes, or even addressing it, just, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus gives his first command in response, feed my lambs. Then Jesus asks the second question, which is almost the same, but it's actually slightly different. He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And now Jesus has dropped the comparison. We've, we've moved on past the comparison. It's not about the others anymore, Simon Peter. Now I'm asking you, do you truly love me? And Peter's second reply is exactly the same as the first. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds by giving his second command, take care of my sheep. And then Jesus asks a third question, which is almost identical to the second, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Just a slight change. Instead of truly love, we've got love here. And while the words in the original Greek are basically the same, the writer has chosen a slightly different word which has a slightly different emphasis. And the emphasis in this word is really more about a personal friendship, fondness, and affection, where the other word he was using more emphasized the sacrificial, deliberate choosing, and the put others first kind of love. They're, they're interchangeable words, but they're words that have slightly different leanings, and the, the writer in this third question has used the second meaning. So it's three questions that are all the same, but they're all slightly different. I think question one is do you truly love me more than these? This emphasis on the others. Question two gets rid of the comparison and says, do you truly love me? You can put those up, Katie. And question three emphasizes now more the personal thing between them. Yeah, but do you love me? Three questions. And it says that Peter was hurt by this third question that he was upset. And his answer changes in response slightly as well. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And an interesting thing happens here too because the writer uses two slightly different words for the word know. The first word, you know, you know all things, which is the same word he used in the previous two answers, you know that I love you, means an intellectual knowledge of a fact. That's really funny. I stumbled over the word intellectual. Not sure what that means. An, interne- in- <laughs> done it again. An intellectual knowledge of a fact. 
All right? So there is a fact. I love you. And Jesus, you know all things. Therefore, you know you have knowledge of the fact that I love you. And that's the word he used. But the, the slight change in his third answer, he uses another word. He says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And the word there is still intellectual knowledge, but that has a meaning of gained through experience. Lord, you know all things, but you know, you know that I love you. You know because of the time we've spent together. You know that I love you deeply. You know that I love you personally because you've experienced my friendship, my fondness, my affection for you. Three questions, three replies, and then a third command, feed my sheep. These commands, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then love others. Do you care for me? Then care for others. That's what Jesus is asking Simon Peter to do. So he's asking him a question, do you love me? But then he's asking for an action, well then love people. Do you love me? You know, not only does it have Jesus asking this question three times, but apart from a rhetorical question that he says a little bit later on, it's actually the last question that Jesus asks while on earth. I think that's kind of interesting. And I've been thinking about that question. It's such an important question. And I think it's important in two different ways, actually. It's important because it's the most important question that we have to answer. When Jesus asks us, do we love him, what is our answer? Do we love Jesus? Will we follow him? Will we put him first? Will we obey him? Our answer to that question defines who we are. It defines our present, it defines our future, and it defines our eternity. So that's really important. Our answer to that question is important. But what I find amazing about this question is that the question itself is one that we all ask. The question itself is one that I would say most of humanity are carrying inside themselves or or asking in one way or another, in fact, all the time. We're repeatedly asking this question internally or, or explicitly of other people. Do you love me? It influences a lot of what we do. It influences how we act. It influences what we say. We all want to know whether we're loved. We all want to know whether we're valued. We all want to know whether we are accepted. We have a deep desire to have others answer our question, do you love me? You know, the desire to be loved starts right at the beginning of our lives. Um, Child development researchers tell us that as babies learn to smile and laugh, they use it as a way to engage with their parents and other adults, but with the desire that parents and other adults will engage with them in return. So where a baby's cry is usually used to uh, communicate a need, like a discomfort or being in hungry or in pain or something like that, but the smile and the laugh is actually used so that they are played with, held, and cuddled. The baby's version of, do you love me? As we grow a little older, other research tells us that you can define eras of development in a child's life by a kind of core question 
that defines them at any given moment. I didn't make this up. This is other people, right? For example, they believe that for teenage boys, the central question is something along the lines of, am I strong? Or am I able? Or can I do it? Do I have the ability and the strength to do something? Which is why teenage boys do such stupid things, right? Because that's driving them to find out, what can I do? But a little younger, for most children under 10, the central question that drives them is, am I loved? And a side question is, am I therefore safe? It's it's basically the question that under 10 are, are trying to ask. And knowing the answer to that question is a key component of a child's mental, emotional, and social development. Do you love me? And then, of course, as we get a little older, the question starts to move away from a generic, am I loved, and gets much more specific to the, do you love me? You, you, know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You know, boy meets girl. You know, boy likes girl. Boy realizes he has no idea how girls work or what makes them tick. Boy starts doing really weird things like going and watching girls cricket or girls hockey, stuff like that. Boy and girl end up at the movies together to go see The Lion King. And then that song starts up, right? Hakuna Matata. No, not that song, you know. Can you feel the love tonight? Boy's hand is resting on his knee. Boy, boy notices that girl's hand is resting on her knee. Oh my goodness, I think her little finger might have just brushed against my little finger. This is all purely hypothetical. This is just made up. Hearts start pounding. Boy starts wondering, would she let me hold her hand? Like, would that be all right? Does she value me enough? Does she accept me enough? Does she love me enough that that would be okay? And if my kids are listening, holding hands is for after marriage. It's just... And over 30. Over 30 and married. Just make that really clear. Does she love me? That kind of drives us for a while. You know, social media taps directly into our desire to be loved. How many people are going to share my post? How many likes could I get with this photo? What if, what if I get a, just a slightly better angle? Or maybe if we could have some better lighting. If I got better lighting, would I get more, would I get more likes on my page? Maybe, maybe if I wear a better shirt, then I'll get more likes on my face. Maybe if I just pout a little bit, then perhaps I'll get more people to love me and like me because of what I can put on my social media profile. Do you love me now? Now that I've done this, do you love me? But this question doesn't just burn within us when we're young. This desire to be loved lies deep within all of us. Every person that you meet, everyone in your family, everybody at your workplace or in your classes, anyone who walks through the doors of this church wants to know, do you love me? Am I worth it? Do I have any value? Am I acceptable? Isn't it incredible, don't you think, that the very things that each of us 
desires most in our own lives to be loved and accepted are the very things that God has commanded each of us to give to other people. For me, that's quite a big thought. The thing I need the most is the thing that God wants me to give other people. It's quite big. God has created that need within us. This is a need from God that he's created in us to be loved, to be accepted, but then he's provided the way of meeting that need by commanding us to love one another. Just have a couple of other scriptures here I want to look at. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. You know, some things that Jesus says and does are worth emulating directly, but I wouldn't recommend that phrase in a husband-wife relationship, just, just putting that out there. If you love me, you, that's not what he's saying here. It's not a, it's, it's, it's not a threat here. It's actually, it's actually a motivating thing. It's actually a, cause, a causality. If you love me, you will. You will obey my commands. If you love me, you, you will. Not if you love me, you better obey my commands. No, no, no. If you love me, you will. You will obey my commands. 1 John, 1 John 5 verse 3 says this. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, it says. Now, that's an interesting one. I think a lot of people accuse the church and accuse God of having burdensome commands. But this says, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So what are his commands? I think this is really great. What does Jesus say are the greatest commandments? Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, are you seeing what's happening here? If you love him, then you'll love others. If you love him, then we'll keep his commands. What does he command? To love him and to love others. But if we love him, then we will love others. And if we love him, then we will keep his commands. And his command is to love him and to love others. Team, can you come up and join me? I'm just about finished. Do you love me? If, If Jesus were to ask you that question today, what would your answer be? Would it be the same as Simon Peter's? Could you answer, yes, Lord, you know that I love you? Could you answer, Lord, you know all things. You know, you have experience of my love. Could you answer that? And what if Jesus were to issue you today with the command to feed his lambs, to take care of his sheep, to love others? Can you accept that challenge? Can you make that sacrifice? Can you continue to learn to put others ahead of yourself? Let me let, me let you in on a little secret. I think most of you will probably know this, but maybe you don't. Everyone is struggling with something. Apart from me, obviously. 
Everyone is struggling with something. Everyone needs love. Everyone needs support. Everyone needs encouragement to get through whatever it is that they're going through right now. And if they're not going through something right now, it's because they've just been through something. And if they haven't just been through something and they're not going through something right now, then I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they're about to go through something. And regardless of what someone is going through or not, we all have built into us this desire to be loved and accepted. And the church, this church, should be part of the answer to that need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you love us so much that you came and you gave your life for us. Thank you that we have the capacity for love because you first loved us. So God, we pray that as we move into this year, 2019, that you would increase our capacity to love, that our love for you would grow and increase, and that our love for others would grow and increase our capacity to show love, to accept, to to bring encouragement, to support others would be increased and grow again this year, Lord God. Lord, right now I lift up anyone in this place who is struggling with whatever it is, whether it is health or concerns or relationships or finances or, or worries or whatever is going on. Lord, I lift each one up. I bring it before you again. I know that you are the God of the impossible the God of the miracles. But above all else, you're a God of love and you love us so much that you will never forsake us, never abandon us, regardless of what we are going through. You are always there, always with us, always holding us up. So Jesus, we turn to you afresh today. We say we love you. We invite you to move in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you, Jesus.